You can have a seat. Rick is preaching from Ephesians 1, 7 through 10 this morning. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Thanks, Kelly. Um, if, if you look under your, I'm going to give away this gift later on. Uh, if you look under your seat and you happen to be the one with the prize under the seat, then you're going to get this. So go ahead and do that. I'm just teasing. There's, there's nothing under your seats. <laughs> that was really fun. That was really fun for me. <laughs> no, there's nothing under your seat. However, there is, I am going to give this to somebody. Uh, before the day is, before the sermon is over. So, be excited. Um, So, welcome. I'm glad you guys are here this morning, and um, I'm feeling a little bit silly and fun today, and I think it has to do with the incredible stuff that I get to talk to you guys about today. So, let's pray and ask God to be with us, and then dig right into this incredible stuff that God Uh, wants to say to us. God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you so much for Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would give us a hunger to hear from you this morning, Father. Um, I pray for each of us in this room to engage with your wonderful grace. And God, I pray that you would teach us about grace, and I pray that you would teach us about the results of grace, and that in the midst of that, you would bring Uh, unity to our body, but also unity with you in our body. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for Jesus. God, I I, I just stop here now and confess to you that the the habitual nature of those words, I thank you for Jesus. And God, I confess to you where I've just said those because they're a word crutch that I say, Father. But God, I thank you for Jesus and his grace. It's in his name that I pray. Amen. Um, So Ephesians 1, 7 through 10, a little bit of background again to just reiterate what we've said a couple of times. Uh, This is the third sermon in our series, but want you to know that the book of Ephesians um, and the, uh, that is intentionally a a letter, like an old looking letter, uh, because The book of Ephesians is a letter that was written by Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to a church in Ephesus with the explicit intent that it would be instructions for them on how to be at church. A lot of times in scripture, you cannot insert yourself into the story specifically, but you can insert yourself into the story generally. Like a lot of the stuff in scripture is not meant specifically for a group of people. However, the book of Ephesians is. So we can insert ourselves into the story and this will allow this passage and the, the entirety of the, of the letter to be instruction specifically for us. So this is, this letter, this study that we're going to do for the next several weeks is us trying to understand what God intends for North Church as a church. All right? Um, and this morning, and the, the entirety of the first really two chapters of the book is for us to understand what we have in Jesus. 
Christ is our example. And this morning, unity as is the result. Um, so Christ is our example, and the, the example of, of Christ leads us to unity. And we are unified not just in our need of grace, but we're also unified in our, in our having received grace. If you've trusted in Christ, you have all of this. Um, and a friend of mine, Micah Fries, I read uh, a sermon that he did this week, and he says this, We think what we need is Jesus on the cross and us being very good for God to be happy with us. You see that? We think what we need is Jesus on the cross and us being very good in order for us, in order for God to be happy with us. But the thing that I want to push a little further in light of of Jesus being our example and then that bringing unity in us is not just inward, but also outward in the application of the grace. So we think that we need Jesus on the cross and and we we can realize that that's not right. We don't need Jesus and behavior. However, I think a lot of times... We think that of other people. You need grace and good behavior. But if we really dig into the reality of what grace is, especially in light of this being instruction to a local church, the exciting part is that not only do we all need grace, we have all received grace. So, I do this a lot. Look around you to your right, to your left, front and behind. Look around. See faces. Go ahead and and don't be awkward. Make eye contact with people. Smile. Thanks. Brett is really engaging this exercise with a big smile and looking around. Thank you, Brett. I appreciate that. But the point is, everyone that you just made eye contact with has received grace from Jesus. Extend that same grace to people around you. So let's dig into the passage. Verse 7. We're going to spend most of our time this morning in this verse. In him, that is Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of grace. Three beautiful things that are there, redemption, forgiveness, and grace. Let's walk and talk about them together. Um, In him, we have redemption. In Jesus, because of Jesus, we own a, a possession called redemption. And I learned this week that redemption specifically in this context means a releasing affected by the payment of a ransom. A releasing affected by the payment of a ransom. Um, I remember as a kid, my family would get together on like Christmas and Easter with my grandparents. And my grandfather was a World War II war hero. And he was massive and he had these huge forearms. And whenever we would get to my brother and I and my cousins would get to acting really loud and crazy in his house. He would, he would be sitting in his chair and he would grab us by the arm or by the ankle and hold us. And he was, this, he was older then, late 60s, early 70s, but he had this grip. And we were there in my grandpa's grip until he decided we were no longer in my grandpa's grip. I can remember... What I would try to do is, is be as still as I could be, and then maybe he would get involved in another conversation, and then I could twist my arm and get out. Never. He was so strong. Couldn't do it. And 
So I would just sit there, discouraged, while my cousins and brother played and had fun, and I'm sitting there trapped. I want you to think about that with this definition, redemption, in this context, in him we have redemption. So a possession that you have because of Jesus, let me say that again, a possession that you have because of Jesus is a releasing affected by the payment of a ransom. You are no longer held by the effects of sin. You are no longer held by the effects of sin. I used to um, live in this sphere, and I think that probably a lot of you guys live in the sphere that one day with God there's going to come a reckoning of all the stuff that you've done and then one day God's going to hold all that against you and give you this big punishment. Or you might think that somehow you are experiencing that reckoning today. Um, when I was a kid, I was a good little boy and I did everything my mom and dad told me to do but I didn't do it because I was a good boy. I did it because I was afraid of what might happen if I wasn't a good boy. Um, and there's this one time I was uh, second or third grade walking home from Walnut Grove Elementary School. And my friend and I decided it would be a good idea to kick my metal lunchbox back and forth to each other all the way home. And it was, it was a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun kicking it back and forth and it'd go into a ditch and we'd you know, you know, eight or nine-year-old boy go down there and into the ditch and grab the lunchbox. We were dirty. We were, it was, but it was, it was really fun kicking this lunchbox back and forth. So my friend, his house was before mine. So I picked my lunchbox up and I'm walking from his house to my house, carrying my lunchbox. It was a metal one. And I real, I looked at it and it was just destroyed, just scraped up, dense. There's a, like a latch that like latched it shut. It wasn't, it didn't work anymore. It was just it was nearly a useless lunchbox now. And so I got to my, my front door. And remember, I'm a, I'm a good little boy who only does good little things so that I don't get into a lot of trouble. And I had just done something really bad. And so my little eight-year-old brain was like crushed. Like, what, what am I? I've disappointed my parents. And I've, I've messed up really badly. So what I decided to do is, is hide the lunchbox when I walk in and say hello to my mom and go straight up to my bedroom and leave it there. I did that. And life happens, forget, forget what's going on with my lunchbox until I go to sleep that night. And now I lay down in my bed and my lunchbox is right there and it's destroyed. And so I'm rem- reminded of this lunchbox. And then I'm, I sit there in my bed thinking, oh man, tomorrow mom's going to say, bring me your lunchbox. I need to put your lunch in it. And I'm going to get caught. And I'm going to be in big trouble. And so I spent that whole night worrying, stressing about what's going to happen with my lunchbox. I don't remember what happened the next morning. The most vivid memory that I have, not kicking the lunchbox, not what mom said or did the next day. The most vivid memory that I have of that time was me laying in bed, worried and stressed about what was going to happen the next day. And I... I, don't think that I slept a lot that night. However, this brings a great illustration to redemption. You've been released from any penalty that you think you might be due because of who you are, because of your sin. You've been released. 
I want you to sit with that for a second. Not only do you have redemption, we also have forgiveness. In Him we have redemption through His blood, and we have the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness. C.S. Lewis says this about forgiveness. Yes, you have done this thing, but I will never hold it against you. Forgiveness says, yes, you have done this thing, but I will never hold it against you. Um, I want to read a few verses. Trey, hit that next verse. I want to read these with us together. Just considering forgiveness. And there's, there's going to be four verses. They're going to be very short. But I want you to, to rest in the knowledge that you have complete forgiveness because of Jesus. And I want you to begin to process what that means. Psalm 130, verses 3 and 4. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand... But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. This forgiveness is yours. Hit the next one, Trey. Acts 10, 43. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. You own as a possession forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Look at, look, you are cleansed, you're clean, you're wiped, it's done. It doesn't, he doesn't count it against you anymore. Heard a pastor one time say, God is not angry with you anymore. Forgiveness, that's what it brings to you. It's a possession that's yours because of Jesus. One more, hit the next one, Trey. Isaiah 1.18. This one, again, before we read this, it was written... 500 years or so before Jesus ever took a breath that this was going to culminate in Jesus. Isaiah, the prophet, wrote, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. There's There's a freedom in this understanding of this truth that forgiveness is completely and utterly 100% yours. It's a possession that you have because of Jesus. And again, remember, we can get lost in the minutia of, I, I understand the, the dynamic of what's happening here. I'm holding a microphone and I'm talking, well, I'm not holding it, it's strapped to my ear. But I have the microphone and you guys are listening to me talk for 30 minutes and we can kind of get lost in the details of what's going on. But remember, this is a letter that Paul wrote to a church on how to be a church. And we can insert ourselves into this. This is information that we need to be a church. So for us, as people who come to this church and live a life in this church and try and live in community and try and understand what it looks like to live in community. Understand that every one of us, every one of us is completely and thoroughly redeemed. That means released from the penalty. And we're completely and thoroughly forgiven. That means it did, we're not going to hold it against you. So what does that mean for you and I? I think we get what that means for us in Jesus. But what does that mean for you and I? What does that mean for you and the people around you? Let you sit on that one. 
the end of verse 7. We're getting ready for the present, by the way. It's almost here. You guys excited? In him we have redemption. We have this releasing of this penalty and the forgiveness of sins. He's not holding it against us in accordance with the riches of his grace. That word in accordance means just because of who he is. Because he is grace, because he has grace, these things are true of us. We have the riches of his grace. Grace is charity, undeserved, unmerited favor. So, someone who didn't do... So, I I had you look at the beginning. I did have a point for not just to to pick on you, to have you try to look under your seat to see who got the prize. I wanted you to look under the seat to see who got a prize because that might think there's some sort of luck involved in your getting grace. There is nothing to do with luck in your getting grace. has everything to do with the giver of the gift decided that you would receive that gift. I want, like, that's, that's incredible news. Jesus, the giver of the gift, decided that he was going to give you this gift of grace, the redemption and the forgiveness of your sins. So, um, um, whoever's going to get this, you're going to have to open it and tell everybody what's in it right now, all right? So, I've decided that I'm going to give the gift to Tiffany. So, Tiffany, you've got you to open it. I don't mean to put you on the spot here, but Tiffany, you're going to get... The, and by the way, didn't I do a wonderful job wrapping it? Isn't it beautiful? It, it is really good. You know what I did to wrap it? I said, here, Jen, would you wrap this, please? Look, it's such a pretty bow, you don't even want to tear the bow. Rip into it. Is everybody really excited about what it is? I hope you appreciate it. You're getting there. Now, it's a pink box, but there's more than just a, a pink box. There's something in the pink box. It doesn't feel like it, but it is. I'm sorry. Is it hard? You can tear the box if you need to. There we go. There's tissue in there. What is it? Yes, it's Fritz's gift cards. Yay. And, and in that illustration somewhere is the fact that my daughter works there and like maybe like children of and giving and I don't, I don't, it doesn't really work, but you can let your mind dwell there for a minute if you'd like. Um, the point is you now have uh, $10 to go to Fritz's so you can take your family there this afternoon or this evening or something like that. But here's what I want you to do. I want you, and not, not just your family, but anyone, next time you eat some ice cream, I want you to think about grace. Um, I want you to think about it. Verse 8. This grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. Several different phrases in there, all pointing to the fact that God planned this to happen. It's an eloquent and theological way to say that God knows what he's doing when he lavished grace on us. So, in all wisdom and insight, God knows what he's doing when he lavishes grace on us. He is making known to us this mystery of his will. So, 
wisdom and insight and mystery of his will, and then according to his purpose. All of these things are pointing to these, this eloquent theological way to say God knew exactly what he was doing when he gave you grace. But this word, lavished, is an incredible idea. It means to exceed a fixed number of measure. Lavished means to exceed a fixed number of measure. Have you ever been um, making a cake or something, following a recipe that needed three eggs and you had two? And you think, which neighbor is the most likely to have an egg? Which neighbor is the most likely to be home? And which neighbor is the most likely to be happy to give me an egg? Um, Put yourself in that position. Wait, don't put yourself in that position. Because lavish means you'll never be in that position in regard to grace. Let me say that again. Lavish means you will never be in the position of need in regard to grace. That is incredible news. That means that there's always more grace. That means you will never exhaust the grace of God. That's really, really good news. You are not capable of exhausting the grace of God. And grace is the thing that brings us this redemption and forgiveness. So you are not capable of exhausting the redemption of God. You are not capable of exhausting the forgiveness of God. This is really, really important because we have one enemy and his name is Satan and his only weapon is to get you to believe something that's not true. And your weapon is to read the scriptures that God has given to you and proclaim them and preach them to your own heart. The greatest thing that I could ever give to you is the ability to preach to yourself. And that's why I'm, I'm belaboring this point because it's vital for us. I'm, I'm landing and staying here because I need you That's not true. I don't need you. I want you to leave this place with this full and complete understanding. When the enemy lies to you like he lied to me when I was laying on my bed thinking, oh my gosh, I can't, tomorrow morning is going to be awful. The reckoning that I'm going to have to face is going to be terrible. There's going to be a time when you sit in that and you wallow in that mire. Hear the truth. That God has lavished his grace upon you. And lavished means it exceeds the number of measure required. You will never be in need of more grace. When you think of the shame that you sometimes feel, tell Satan he's not welcome. There's always more grace. I'm, I'm not kidding. Say that. You could verbally say that. When you experience and feel shame, Satan, you are not welcome here. There's always more grace. And again, this is not just for your sake. This church can't work 
unless we can understand this grace. And Paul's instruction through the inspiration of a holy God is to proclaim that to a church. Verse 10, all of this to be put into effect when the times have reached their fulfillment. And this is the point. This is the point he's making here about the point of grace. It's to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth and under Christ. Paul is giving instruction to a particular church, the one in Ephesus, and we can insert ourselves into that story as Paul giving us specific instructions. All, all of this happening within the context of a local church is to bring unity to us. So in the same way, that you don't receive shame from Satan because of the fullness, the full measure of grace that you have received. In that same way, that same grace is extended by you to, to the people in this room and around this room. And that's hard. It's easy to receive grace. It's easy to understand the the theological implications of grace but with our understanding of God and who he is and how he receives us because of Jesus, I think it's a little bit harder to extend that to the people around us. Um, this word, unity, is hit that image. Trey, here's a picture of unity. The word unity is that rope around those sticks. So grace then becomes the thing that binds us together. Grace becomes the thing that binds us together. And so you and I are the, are the sticks there. And we are bound by the grace of God. I think this is a good time to stop. Let me pray. God, I pray that this prayer would not be just a prayer so that the worship team can come up and sing songs and it not be awkward. I pray that this prayer would be a church unified by grace. calling out to you, asking for you to dwell with us as we respond to the truth that you've just showed to us. Resting and praising and thinking and talking and praying. May those be our responses to your beautiful, matchless grace that reaches us. God, thank you for the grace that you have lavished on us. Thank you for the grace that you have lavished on us. God, I, I, I pray against our enemy who lies to us. I pray against him and I, I ask you to to embed your truth in the front of our brains that we can spot the lie of shame quickly and call it out and rest in your grace. 
God, draw us into your presence. Allow us to wrestle with and think through and understand your grace. The grace that you planned and decided to to give to us. Thank you so much for Jesus. It's in his perfect name that I pray. Amen.